What happens when scientists try to advise policymakers and decision makers about a significant threat to public health and they fail to act? What if you then found out that not only did these decision makers fail to act, but instead chose to exploit the situation for economic gain? While this sounds like an all too familiar present day scenario, this story is captured in the fictional Netflix film titled Don't Look Up where two astronomers identify a catastrophic comet headed towards Earth and the fate of humanity is ultimately left in the hands of politicians and some of the world's richest people. This is the Public Health Insight Podcast. This episode contains spoilers and will certainly almost ruin the movie for you. So come back to this later if you haven't had a chance to watch it. If you've heard of the movie and haven't yet been convinced to watch it, keep listening. It will certainly be worth your while. For those who've already watched it, Enjoy the ride. Before we move on, it is important to note that the views expressed in this podcast are our own and do not represent any of the organizations we work for or are affiliated with. Welcome to Rewind, a new limited series brought to you by Public Health Insight, where we explore the public health connections in some of our favorite TV shows, movies, music, books, other traditional media, and pop culture. If you have any suggestions for us, please let us know. We'd be happy to review them. My name is Gordon, and I'll be your host for this episode along with my fellow co-hosts, Lashan, Purva, Bindra, and Hassan. In this episode, we'll be taking a closer look at a Netflix feature film released at the end of 2021, titled Don't Look Up. In order to take a closer look, let's rewind. Don't Look Up is a satirical film that cleverly uses a doomsday scenario to reflect the fragile state of our modern society, right? And in a nutshell, the movie opens with Kate DiBiaschi, who's a PhD student at Michigan State, fictional obviously, or hopefully it's fictional, who identifies a comet 5 to 10 kilometers in diameter through some routine observations. So she then notifies Dr. Randall Mindy, her professor, who then performs some calculations and determines that the comet was approaching Earth. So they swiftly notify relevant governmental bodies that the comet would make an impact in just over six months and that it would lead to an extinction level event. Sound scary? Well, (laughs) and then so Dr. Oglethorpe from the Planetary Defense Coordination Office, which is apparently a real thing, sets up a meeting with the U.S. president and the team that discovered the comet was brought to the White House in Washington, D.C., Now, another character in the movie is Peter Isherwell, and he's a tech billionaire, and he plays a major role in the film. I'm not going to give it all away right now, but that's all I'll say. But let's just say the rest of the movie chronicles the journey of these scientists as they try to communicate the urgency for action to these decision makers and politicians and through mass media to tell the general public. And in the background, you have political motivations and corporate interests that oftentimes take precedence over evidence-informed decision-making. All right, now we're in public health and it's sort of a dark satire type of movie, but we thought there was parallels in terms of modern day society and their attitudes towards science and the movie. So the two astronomers in the movie, in the film, Dr. Randall Mindy and Kate DiBiaschi, like I mentioned, we're sort of hoisted from strictly conducting science to, hey, 
you got to go tell the general public that something really bad is going to happen to planet Earth and everyone's going to die. So it made me start thinking about should scientists or public health professionals receive you know, media training as part of their formal communication? Because you never know when, like what you're researching is going to become a catastrophic event that you'll have to tell the world about. So what are your thoughts on that? LaShawn, I'll throw it over to you first. I think as scientists, we have to be able to communicate to a diverse range of people. Whether it's younger audiences, people who are school age, people who are in high school, university level, the elderly, policymakers, business people. I just think that we have to understand and be able to connect with them. And it, the onus is on us scientists and public health communicators to be able to get a pulse of how they receive information and how to do that most effectively. And so I do think that receiving forms of media training, science communication, crisis communication can add to our toolkit, as I always like saying, of ways we can better relate to people and effectively communicate. That's interesting because I saw an article recently about the CDC director because of some miscommunication between like pandemic guidance and what the, you know, federal government, all the local regional governments were doing. She actually sought out media training because she felt like she wasn't able to get her message across effectively. So that's a case in point there in a real world scenario where typically as part of your education or your studies, you wouldn't receive media training, but then you're thrown into some unexpected scenario where you're expected to be the best communicator ever. And as we know, communication comes with practice. So that's something that should be a part of formal education, perhaps. Anything to add to that, Purva? Yeah, I feel like, you know, science communication in school especially tends to be taught in a very... Um, like two ways, I'd say. One is through the written form. People are like, oh, you need to be able to write in colloquial terms so that people can understand it. Like write a brochure, write a blog report, which tends to come a little easier because you're not put on the spot. People aren't coming back to you with questions right away when you're talking. And then the other form of science communication is presentations. And half the time, or not even half, 99% of the time, you're presenting to people who are experts in that field. You can mm-hmm. use the big words. You can use, you know, non-colloquial terms and expect people to understand it and the questions that you're going to get are not basic foundation questions they're going to be more detail oriented like oh how'd you come up with that outcome or conclusion versus I don't understand your first point in this whole thing how does that even come about so Mm -hmm. science communication as LaShawn mentioned it needs to be not towards just experts and not through just one form of medium they need to be given like scientists policymakers need to be given training on almost all aspects whether it's like through the verbal form of communication and how can you do it to people who are perhaps not as informed on science or as literate in you know various areas of science I'm pretty sure like most of us are not that knowledgeable on astronomy when you know Randall was going on to the president about the formula and we calculated this and all these like terminologies. He's like, we use this one formula and this equation and we figured this out. I was like, just get to the point, bro. Like, just say that (laughs) there's a, 
you know, a huge asteroid that's going to destroy Earth. You don't need to go through this is the formula we use. Like, it needs to be more tailored to who you're talking to. And that does take some skill that you would need training for. So 100%. I will say, though, especially in the film, I think the situation before they're even thrust into the media's eye, I don't think they even expect to be the ones breaking the news, right? Like, they go to the government with so-called experts who would be the ones handling media exposure and have the training and they're not listened to they're literally brushed off and then they're thrown into the world of media as a PhD student and as a professor which they have very different ways that they communicate with people and there was that scene to Perva where they were getting ready for I think it was the first time they were going to go on TV so Dr. Mindy turns to uh, Kate DiBiaschi and says how do we say this she's kind of like you know i don't know so that was kind of the epitome of what we're trying to talk about like how how do they say what they're supposed to say without confusing everybody and how do you say in a way that will convince people to listen to you because even though they said it in such a straight up like yo we've a big asteroid's coming and we're gonna die if we don't do something about it that's pretty simple terminology but that's not going to convince somebody that you're speaking truth (laughs) right I think an important thing to keep in mind is because the scientists or like scientists in general aren't the ones making the decisions, like that gap in terms of in communicating science to people who are actually making the decisions to policymakers is really important because if you're not able to translate science, it's not going to make any change whatsoever, right? So you need to be able to communicate in a way that the people who are actually have the power to make the decisions or make change are able to understand it. Um, because if they don't, then the science is just going to be science, right? It's not going to be able to make the impact that needs to be made. Mm. So you're, Binder, you're sort of saying there's communication with your peers, there's communication to the general public, and then there's communication to people who, who can actually act on information that you provide them. Exactly. And I think that's the most important, especially for public health professionals, because if you're able to do the research, then you have to, at the end of the day, ultimately be able to translate that research in a way that's making an impact. Yeah. And that requires communication. Right. And apparently a pro tip, so in reading uh, a book called The Art of Science Communication, there's a pro tip by, you know, by Dr. Deborah Thompson. The pro tip is basically, if you cannot communicate your message to a child, you cannot communicate your message effectively. So there you go. That's probably a good way to go about practicing that. Hassan, what's going on in your mind? I agree. As you guys know, I'm a huge like admin of science communication and, and having someone who has like a being someone who has an, like an interdisciplinary educational background, seeing the gap between like those who are actually, you know, in science, 100 percent, they know that they're experts in the field and then going to you know classes where it's like people have no idea like what's going on in the world of science. And like they feel very like very, very like scared of, of science and, and like, like it's not scared in the sense where it's very daunting. Mm. It's very daunting. It's very complicated, and it's hard to understand exactly what happens uh, within this movie, where where people are like, you know what, this is just too complicated. There's no point in me even paying attention to it, right? Right. So even like when like Doctor uh, Mindy and, and Katie DiBiaschi, they were going and they're like, hey, there's a meteor. It's gonna hit the Earth. Like we're all gonna die. Yo, like get ready for it. Everyone's like, ah, oh, this is like we're too. It's too complicated. And, and you guys are saying like, it has to be something that's very like digestible for people to actually understand. And so I think 100% providing scientists with with like an opportunity to, to learn the art of science communication, to learn how to communicate effectively is super important because, you know, like Binder said, science is, it's an applicable field. Like it's supposed to be applicable to the world. We have to be able to transfer it to the real world. I mean, if we're unable to like actually communicate it to the people that are actually making a change and are the ones that are making the decisions, then there's no way that we're, that we're ever going to really be able to make a change and we'll be able to to make progress. I will say, I think there's also an importance in 
educating the general public on understanding credibility. So, you know, people with really great degrees, I think it was some of the scientists that work with Peter Isherwell, who is that tech billionaire, they had, they're like well-renowned in their fields and they've done great research, but and people are undoubtedly going to be like, wow, a Harvard grad who has like a whole bunch of medals did this thing that they're backed by this billionaire. So clearly it's fine and it's good. But the credibility and the process of, you know, being credible in the field of science is really big. And not a lot of people understand the idea of peer reviewed journals, of peer reviewed research. Or, you know, if you have two scientists saying one thing versus the other, look at what they've written and how do you differentiate between something that, you know, is not necessarily well backed up versus something that is. And you're always going to have people that maybe putting things in the name of science for the sake of it, like, oh yeah, vaccinated, but they're putting microchips in you and they'll come up with the craziest proof for it. So how does the general public differentiate between what they're being told as truth or false? I, I really like that point, the point about credibility, because I think it's very prominent in this movie, especially in the new scenes when they're going live on TV. So what kind of things can we think about when we're talking about credibility? Of course, the first thing inevitably that people judge you on is your looks. How do you look? And we saw that firsthand from the news anchor who took a liking to Dr. Randall right away. And you could see from all the tweets, people were like, oh, who's that hot scientist dude? So like everyone was really judging him based on that appearance factor. And then when you also think a bit further about credibility, you're talking about their competence. So their scientific knowledge. We know that both the PhD student and the, the professor were both credible in the field, but when you kind of talk about the character aspect, so how they portray that information, do they come off as trustworthy, sincere, and they're concerned, that's kind of another factor to think about. And I think when you consider a mixture of those factors, you could kind of see some of the downfalls and some of the successes that came about from those news conferences. So you're, you're even saying communication is partly what you say, but also how you look when you're delivering it and how you're delivering the message, like for it to be well received. So, but I think another thing to keep in mind as well is I don't think when people get bad news, they tend not to react very well. So to hear like in the general public to hear that there's a potentially world ending event coming in half a year, you're, you're maybe going in the direction of confirmation bias, hoping that they're wrong. So it's easier to kind of, go with the opposing opinion or the opposing scientific information just so it gives you a little bit more comfort. And you can't really blame people in that situation. I think if I learned that the world was going to end six months, I would try to find my different reasons to say that's why that won't happen just so it can give you a sense of comfort. But I wanted to ask you as well, so if we flip this on its head, should people in the media also be scientific literate? Because we saw in the movie that oftentimes science was being trivialized. Now, mass media is the best way to reach people, whether it's social media or on TV or print media. And if those folks aren't scientifically literate, they might not then paint the message in the best light. Because when you have a following of people that watch your show, they tend to go with the vibe you're portraying. So if you're automatically already discrediting something, the audience is also going to scoff at it because they trust you to bring them good sources of information. So 
What do you think of that? And even what do you think of having science people and public health people in media? I think that's a really cool idea, like have a team of science media experts. I think that'd be cool, even if not them being directly on a media team, but providing training in a way that, so for example, the scientists get media training, but the media people should get some science training, especially if they're going to be getting, you know, guests that come in who are talking about big scientific discoveries or big science news. They need to be aware of what is coming on their stage, what they're presenting to the audience and doing so in a specific lens. For example, The Daily Rip is the talk show that Randall and Kate go on to. And the anchors did not even know their story at all. They thought they were coming in for a science experiment, which is right. trivializes the whole discovery, first of all. And then the entire time they were trying to tell them this new discovery and the fact that the world might be ending, they were really brushing it off. And they're like, oh, our whole point is to make things like serious news be not so serious. But you can't trivialize big news like this. It's, you know, if you get someone coming in and talking about the awful, you know, outcomes of climate change, you can't say like, oh, but like, you can't trivialize that. It's, there's no way to trivialize it. You have to do it. Lighten it. They want to lighten them. Yeah, because the point of getting it on the news is to make people pay attention to it and to right. trivialize it, it defeats the whole purpose. So yeah, I think it'd be cool if anchors or media people also had science training, especially if they're reporting on things like that. Yeah, I, I agree as well. And also perfect, like building off that point where you said, they're like, oh, we try to keep it light. You guys probably noticed, but at the end, they like looked at, oh, let's look at the ratings of what we saw, right? So it kind of also like in terms of like what they're presenting on the TV, it, it kind of goes to the overarched theme of like, how business control the decisions that these policymakers or people on TV or these big shots are making because they want to present, although news is supposed to be this thing where we get people to think critically and understand what's going on in the world, it comes to a point where it's like, all right, you know what? Let's just present things that are going to get the most people to come back and to like continue to like watching what we're we're kind of putting out. And I, I also agree, I think it's it's super important to like give, give scientists the mic, like give, give them an opportunity to go and discuss their findings and, you know, have a new perspective and a new kind of viewpoint within media. So when we're talking about the media, we, we also saw that in the movie, they took advantage of some celebrities like Ariana Grande to propagate the message. How effective did you think that was? Did it detract from the message or did it support it? You know, there's celebrities play a really big role in getting messages out there. I really do think so because just look at like, for example, the vaccination campaigns that we've had for the last like two years. When celebrities support certain campaigns, their followers definitely polarize, whether it's to support them or to not support them. And a lot of the times, if you follow the celebrity, you're going to support them. And you can see that with the way that, you know, the vaccination, the mask campaigns, all that stuff. When celebrities get on board, I think there's a lot more movement because they're just well known. They're on the screen a lot more versus, you know, a PhD student or a professor. Um, but I do think, sorry, I'm going to just detract a little bit because I randomly thought of it. But in terms of, I know, Hassan, you brought up when they were looking at the like the uh, viewerships while the show was happening. One thing I did notice is that when the celebrity news was happening, their phones were like popping off, like their phones were downloading their songs and they were getting subscribed to a whole bunch of random things without them even subscribing to it. But when you had the news about science, not a single thing happened on their phone. They didn't get 
more paper yeah. articles about astronomy. They didn't get YouTube video suggestions to learn more about asteroids or, you know, follow this person on Twitter. This is the astronomist you just saw. Like none of that happened because it wasn't as trivial, so to say. But I thought that was a really interesting, you know, parallel between the two. Yep. Lots of white noise going on, right? So along those same lines, I wanted to ask you, in the movie, when Dr. Mindy brought it, the discovery to the White House, so to speak, you then found out that the, the NASA president or the, the scientific advisor to the president who was responsible for kind of space science, she was actually an anesthesiologist. So how important it is that the scientific advisors are appointed by their area of expertise and not based on the fact that they're accomplished, but you have to be accomplished in the domain that you're an expert in. Does that make sense? How important is that? Is that... Okay, I didn't... Okay, so I haven't seen this, but I also don't look into the background of CEOs or heads of a lot of companies. But an anesthesiologist being the head of NASA, like that doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> yeah. But it has to be based in some truth for them to have put it in the movie. Like, I wonder, are there heads of companies that aren't... Well, you know... I think it's not too uncommon, though, because if you look at even Ontario, I think the Minister of Education didn't have any background in sort of that education. And even Minister of Health, I don't believe, kind of had any background. So like it, it's common where people hold places in office where they're perhaps not the most qualified for. So I guess there maybe it was like a tongue in cheek kind of way to say that happens a lot. I don't know. But yeah, it was just interesting that the person that's expected to make decisions or inform the president of the urgency of it doesn't even have the background to realize the urgency of it. That was kind of striking. One of the things I want to throw out there as well, I think there was an element of sexism too with the with Kate DiBiaschi and Dr. Mindy. Kate, uh, Kate DiBiaschi, you know, cut to the point when Dr. Mindy was sort of beating around a bush and she's like, something's going to happen, we're all going to die. She was seen as crazy and thrown out thrown out there. She was no longer invited to advise the president or anything like that. She was censored. And then Dr. Mindy was kind of allowed to make mistakes and learn and eventually become the chief scientific advisor. So I think there's an element there of, of some sort of sexism going on. Yeah. yeah, it's a good point. When you say that, I also think about the conversations that some of the women had with each other. You see the president and the NASA president, like so the president of the United States, played by Meryl Streep and the NASA president, when they're talking about the seriousness of this and when they try and formulate their first plan of, you know, hitting the asteroid so it goes off its um, path, the two of them are like, they don't even discuss the situation at hand. They're like, oh yeah, that engineer that we're going to send up with that rocket, I dated him once. And, you know, like they're talking very sexist stereotypical topics like oh my god I love your like lipstick or makeup or oh yeah I dated him once when they're like women in power they probably would not be talking about that stuff in the right, oval right. office that's true so yeah 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 very very interesting how that unfolded so I wanted to just to switch gears a bit we talked about the science communication aspect of it and the white noise that was prevalent throughout the movie but I wanted to talk about sort of the ultimate fate of what happened at the end of the movie and how it ended up getting there. So in public health or the health space in general, we often hear concepts like One Health. When we think of planetary health, we tend to think of the threat of our human activity in contributing to deterioration of the planet. We often don't factor in outside threats, 
So given what you've learned in the movie, do you see a role for astronomers, physicists, NASA in public health? Absolutely. Mm. Yes. Okay. Why? Because, think about it this way. There is so much benefit that we get here as a public, a community, as a world from different things that and different innovations and technologies that have been implemented in outer space, whether it's satellites to help us do mapping or GIS or different estimations and calculations of various things that we use as scientific evidence to help us make informed decisions. So they have a lot of expertise in those different areas. And when we're talking about physicists, a lot of the discoveries that they make contribute to our knowledge and that helps us make more informed decisions. And by the way, yes, the threat of different things happening from the atmospheric perspective, those insights and solutions to those problems are going to be a multidisciplinary problem and approach that we have to take to solve these crises like climate change. Mm. So we have to consider that the bigger picture as well when we're thinking about this. I guess from an everyday sense, you might not think that it's important to have these different players in the field, but understand that they definitely contribute to our knowledge, but it's in a very non-traditional way. Because when you think of public health, you're thinking about people implementing a program at a health unit, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to just kind of shift that narrative a bit to understand that when we're talking about One Health and these global problems, everyone plays a role. Right. And to your point, LaShawn, so... From doing research on this, apparently this event is exceedingly rare, and apparently the last one that happened was 65 million years ago. But what is more likely is smaller asteroids hitting the planet and causing smaller type of damage. But the damage is akin to climate change, right? So you have tsunamis, you know, you have public health emergency response. So you're having an outside threat causing issues on Earth that affect the livelihood of humans animals in the environment. So like you said, why not get public health involved with astronomers and vice versa? And I think what a lot of people don't know with the first, the one that you talked about millions of years ago, the mass extinction that happened with the asteroid and the dinosaurs, it didn't happen for many, many years after the impact. What caused the extinction Mm -hmm. was there was a lot of debris that went up into the atmosphere due to the impact. And heat retention on earth itself so that debris caused great level like high levels of temperature on the planet which resulted in mass extinction and that's very reminiscent of a lot of the high levels of heat that we have because of climate change and with this being extinction like the next extinction age who knows specifically caused by one species which would be humans that would be the first time so I think there's, yeah, there's a lot of parallel and having experts who are involved in astronomy and space science and earth science and how that works together. It's a direct partnership with the health and, you know, One Health overall includes planetary science. And I feel like you think about it, you're like, oh, yeah, of course, when you think about climate change, space is important. But we don't make that direct correlation then to public health involving astronomers and planetary scientists as well, which I think is a very important point that you bring up. Yeah. I mean, when we when we think of public health, we're always looking to be preventative, right? So who knows what happens in the future, but you want to be prepared and have these emergency preparedness guidelines and protocol. Just prepare. You got you to gotta make sure that you're not chasing the next thing. You're not chasing the next 
pandemic. I was going to say, I think at the end of the day, the role of public health is to protect and promote health itself, right? So if there is a threat to health, whether it be on the planet or outside of the planet, I think public health professionals and researchers should all play a role in terms of helping mitigate that impact because I think it's at the end of the day, it's all interconnected. I, 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 yeah, I, I agree. It just kind of speaks to the interdisciplinarity um, of public health and the like reach that that public health has. And, you know, people don't necessarily think about all the, the different things that go on that can affect our health. And, and, and so it just speaks to just like the vast reach that public health has an impact on. And you already made some parallels to climate change from being a human driven activity from climate change being caused by extraterrestrial threats. But at the end of the day, I think in both scenarios, as we saw in the film, and as we see unfold in the real world, is that high income countries do most of the pollution and then the lower income countries bear the brunt of the climate change. So we see that that's not equitable in of itself. And in the movie, it plays out with the United States making the executive decision on how to deal with the comment. And then it ultimately costs the whole the fate of the planet based on the decision of one super player in the global health space. So we can see that decisions are not best made alone, that decisions that include all the affected stakeholders from a geopolitical level is probably the best way to go. And I mean, also to that point, keep in mind that even though other countries tried to do something about this problem, the main powerhouse in this, portrayed in this movie, the U.S., actively went on to silence different responses that were taking place to make sure that they would be able to secure the resources that came from these comments. I also don't know if you guys caught that one. It was a very split second part where they were showing all the interviews between the whole don't look up, look up debate segment that they showed. But mm -hmm. I think there was a UN representative that yep. showed up for a bit and she she said she's like we've decided to take our own approach as per un policies and this and that and i was like hold on <laughs> this whole mission that they're doing in space has been without any type of input from the un so it fully was the united states government deciding to do something that's going to affect the entire world and every single country without even asking a you know internationally governing group of individuals or body for any type of you know, feedback or advice or even just letting them know or their thoughts, whatever. It was just fully their decision on behalf of the entire planet. <laughs> Absolutely. And just, I wanted to get your thoughts on this too. So, you know, how we saw a little bit about emergency preparedness earlier in the movie, it sounded like while obviously the, the planet may not have faced something like this before, it sounded like there was some semblance of a emergency plan in place when Dr. Oglethorpe was telling the president, well, we could do this, do deflection mechanisms, do this and nu nuclear bombs and this sort of stuff. So they obviously planned for this. And it made me think about the pandemic preparedness playbook that the U.S. had when, you know, President Obama was in office that sort of was cast aside when the other president came in office. And there was a lot of similarities there. So how similar is it to the present day pandemic that we're going through? What are the parallels that you can draw from it? I think for me, it's it's kind of this idea of, of power and greed and, and kind of being the one that, oh, I'm the one that solved the problem. I didn't get any help from anyone else. I solved the problem. So even though, like like you had mentioned in terms of, oh, there was, there was, you know, things in place to help us deal with this situation. And then when this new person came in, they're like, you know, let's scratch that. 
I want to do my kind of own mm. approach. And it's kind of the same way during the first launch when they were they were launching right. and they were going to go like basically to execute the plan, the right? To right? execute the original plan. Execute the plan. We're going to do it. We're going to kill this. Let's let's get it done. And everyone was super fired up. And all of a sudden, it was like, you know what? Let's turn around because we want to be the ones that that solve the problem. And this is actually all wrong. And I'm, 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 I'm let's do my way instead of the way that that everyone else would read upon. So it's this idea of I want to be the superhero. I want to be the one that saves the day. I want to get the accolades. I um, mean, so that's where I kind of see the the kind of parallel between. Yeah. The two. Also, the fact that what's his name again? Peter. Yeah, Peter Isherwell, Peter, yeah. the billionaire. Yeah, yeah. He was able to walk into this like super, super confidential meeting because he's a, was it platinum donor for their campaign? Yeah. But one thing, I think it was so easy to convince everyone that um, because of essentially capitalism, they yeah. were willing to put the entire planet at risk from literally a split second decision. And then somehow they convinced the entire room of people who at the very beginning when they say this is why we stopped it, we're like, that's dumb for some like rare metals. You decide to like not go through with the plan. But within the one hour meeting, all of them were on board. They're like, oh yeah, let's make a trillion dollars from the possibility of this asteroid hitting Earth. They were so easy to convince just with the money talk, which was very scary. But then there's a, the parallel to climate change. Let's do all this stuff because it affects lower income countries and not really the ones that are going to benefit from it. Right. So it's very similar. I will say when it comes to the whole emergency preparedness and I, this is I don't know. I always feel like especially when you see like United States or like people like NASA and stuff like there's so much money put into space exploration and a lot of time and effort, which is Good. You always need a space exploration, but there's so much time and effort put into extraterrestrial threats and the possibility of life somewhere in the universe that it can be almost neglecting the possible threats at home. So there probably is a emergency preparedness plan for comets and extraterrestrial threats, but the at the expense of not having any preparedness for the next pandemic or whoever knows, like maybe large natural disasters, climate change. Is there a book for that? Has anyone come up with a plan to mitigate those concerns that are very real and it could be very possible? For me, I think it was the parallels that I could draw, at least early on, for example, in our pandemic response, was the lack of knowledge sharing and learning from other countries. And this became apparent to me Especially when they were the billionaire, Peter, the billionaire was talking about his special plans to extract these resources. Like everyone mentioned, it wasn't peer reviewed. They didn't take into consideration other knowledge, other scientists, other perspectives, and they just went straight forward with it. And I think in our current situation, or we're getting better at it. I mean, we're, we're sharing more knowledge between different countries and learning from some of their successes and some of the mistakes that they made. But like, just kind of global sharing of resources and information. Like when we're talking about TRIPS waiver, we're talking about different things that if we start sharing that information and waiving patents, for example, specific patents in this case, in the pandemic, it would lead to greater global vaccine equity, for example. So being able to have that sharing component and that knowledge transfer to build capacity around the world. One of the parallels to even public health in general that I found was you put all this money in place, space exploration for an event that might not happen for millions of years. You might prepare for pandemics that might not happen for hundreds of years. And that makes it harder for people to see the value of pumping money into those things versus sort of the more immediate, tangible 
threats or things that they find a little bit more important. So it's hard to make the case for public health, space exploration, or space emergency preparedness when the threats might not even happen in our lifetime or generations from now. If you recall when they were talking about when they had these like Harvard scientists backing up Peter Ishwell's non-peer-reviewed process and experiments, they at one point say, or I think Dr. Mindy like Randall takes out a report and says like, hey, you've been firing the people that have been doing this research for you. He fired the Harvard scientists that came up with the plans because they were saying like, this is not peer-reviewed. We need to look at it further before we go through with it. And he, this billionaire was firing them because they were speaking out against what he thought was correct. And it brought back to me early in the pandemic last year, there were some healthcare workers and people in, I don't know if... They were in very prominent healthcare roles where they were the ones communicating certain parts about the vaccination rollout or the fact that there's a lot of burden on the healthcare system. They were speaking out about how the government is not following through and how they're not supporting healthcare workers. And they were fired for speaking out. And there were a couple people, especially I remember in the United States, that were fired from their roles just for saying that this needs to be done differently or this is not properly being executed. And it brought back that whole idea of censoring the type of information that's even put out versus like not even the not sharing but or not sharing what you know but also not even allowing people to share something that goes against the norm or what's being told otherwise i feel like throughout the entire movie there was this like constant battle between the truth and like what society believes to be the truth based on like their political beliefs and that was like it would kept downplaying the the truth the entire movie and i feel like even kate um, versus Dr. Mindy himself, the fact that Kate was trying to speak the truth the entire movie, she, her character was kind of put on the sidelines, while Dr. Mindy kind of was able to become this public figure in the media, not really say the truth in the way that the truth had to be said, which was what Kate was trying to say, right? So I feel like there was this constant battle between that, and that's kind of what society has been doing in our case as well, like with the pandemic, the truth is always being downplayed. Right. You're talking about the just look up versus don't look up divide that was prevalent throughout the whole the whole movie exactly yeah yeah so a key takeaway in this conversation and from the movie is that we can see that wealthy people tend to have more access to political leaders and decision makers so i wanted to have a little maybe a little bit of a thought experiment while we end this podcast so i'm going to ask you know which of the two will more likely lead to the demise of the planet a failure of science or corporate political greed? I'm going to say corporate or political greed because I feel like science will always be there. I think it's more about getting science out there into the hands of people who are able to make use of it. But I think at the end of the day, corporate greed is going to ultimately lead to demise because science won't able to overtake it. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think in terms of the failure in science, like Again, like science is always ever changing; it's always evolving. So even if we fail, we're always going to continually try to to like to find you know the truth, right? Whereas if it's corporate greed, there's no like there's really no way. Even if we have the like the the solution to all of our problems, like it, it's likely never going to make it just because it's like this just like this is not going to make us money. You know what I mean? Like why would I solve a problem if the problem is making me money? So it's like there's just no chance that it'll ever make it out. Whereas if science feels like all right. Well, if this didn't work, then we're always going to continuously try to make an effort to to so- to find a solution. So there's always a chance that it's know, also it about who has the most power. I feel like at the end of the day, corporations have the yeah. most power. Scientists aren't as powerful; they don't have the power in their hands. So I feel like 
they ultimately would not be able to make decisions the way corporations can. I think um, also framing it as the demise of the planet Earth, corporate and political greed at the expense of science. So you have, you know, Peter Isherwell using science that's not backed up and it's at the expense of the scientific process that everyone knows and believes in and doing it for corporate and political greed. You know, he decides to take the lesser approach of science and essentially puts it on the sidelines for the purpose of having corporate greed. And it's, I think that's what really leads to the demise of planet. You see that because you have his experiment with all the, you know, the nanotech and stuff like that. I think, what was it, eight of his rockets exploded and didn't work properly. And you have a direct parallel and comparison to just earlier in the movie where they were going with the initial well-thought-out plan that has been tested out and has been decided on for years of having, you know, the derouting of the asteroid with the rockets and the nuclears. And that had no hitches in this process. It worked perfectly fine. It was going on plan. There were no issues until they decide to stop it for the process of political greed and corporate greed. So it's almost corporate political greed at the expense of good science. I don't know if I could pick. I would actually pick, you know, it's a kind of a mixture of both, right? We're talking about the failure of science. Why is it a failure of science? Well, we're generating knowledge in science. I think, I truly do think it's up to the people who are creating this knowledge and are involved in this knowledge to make that knowledge more accessible so that individuals can use it. Now, when we're talking about corporate and political interest, and we, I always bring up the commercial determinants of health, right? We know that corporations, organizations, companies have the ability to affect health. But I do think that we need to make sure that these organizations and companies have independent review boards and panels to make sure that they do have um, the ability to implement good science practices. And I'm not sure about the this narrative of completely bashing them because I know there are a lot of instances where corporations, companies like biopharmaceutical companies, they usually get a bad rep, but they are doing a lot of great work, especially with innovation and creating things. And I think the individuals behind these efforts within the, they're scientists, right? Developing mRNA technologies, um, a very, various background. So we have to remember that as well. So I do think that there is also a little failure of science component to that. So we just got to make sure that both of those points are highlighted. And I guess at the end, science needs to work in tandem with these different corporations and organizations to be effective, given the point that Bindra made of corporations often have a lot of power. Yeah. I mean, if we just look at the movie, there was like, it was like an artistic collab or something. It was like, what was it? The the name of his organization? Bash, Bash Cellular in collaboration with the US government. It was literally yeah. like an artistic collaboration or something. They have so much sway and that is so real and true but i think specifically it's that greed aspect that Mm -hmm. is like problematic but you're right lashon it's also a failure of science when we can't balance the two out ah Ah. there you go it's always in the middle now for the best part of the show movie ratings so summarize your likes and dislikes real succinctly and give me a rating out of five stars so i'm gonna start with hassan Oh man, I would go first. Okay. So I liked the way that, that the information was presented and 
in a really entertaining and fun way, but they still kept the core message um, of you know the, the importance of looking for credible information. So I thought that was that was really really great. In terms of like dislikes, I enjoyed it. I don't know if there's really any dislikes. My rating, so because my first time, I can't go high. I'm gonna do a four point two. Okay. I'm gonna go four point two because if I go too high, then it's like okay. you know what I mean. Like it's like there's no way this is the best movie ever. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, Over here, me and Vidra with our five stars on the last episode. <laughs> yeah, I'm going, I'm going four point two. Right, so Hassan, Hassan is a four point two. Perva. Um, yeah, I think I'd probably give it. I think four point seven. It was a really good parallel to. The way our world will probably work and would work if at this moment in time, snapshot of reality right now, we'd probably, I don't know, I think it would be the exact same. I The reason it's not five stars is because I was so incredibly frustrated throughout this whole movie. And I was just so like upset that this, like it was satire, but it really wasn't. It was so rooted in reality that it wasn't satire. Like these, you know, caricatures of the governments and the peoples and this and that it almost felt too rooted in reality and that just made me so frustrated and sad. But I guess that does its job. Like they accomplished what they wanted to, but 4.7, I guess. All right. Perfect. Is that 4.7? LaShawn, <laughs> what do you think? One of the things that I did after watching it was kind of do a bit behind the scenes research on it. And the I think the producer, Adam McKay, he mentioned that he created the script ahead or way before That's the right. pandemic even started mm-hmm. right but it was he was kind of contemplating if he should release it or not because of how the pandemic unfolded That's right. but i think it like i mentioned earlier there are a lot of parallels here and my favorite part about it is it really highlights this white noise that we talked about you know all these discussions that are happening in the media corporations institutions that really are detracting from the actual damn thing of this comet coming from outer space to kill everyone mm. like there's a lot of white noise so i i think that these divisions that are created like don't look up don't look down are are exactly doing what it's supposed to detracting from that message and causing conflict among people mm. and if you draw that parallel to some of the things going on in the pandemic you could kind of see that a lot of that tension playing out as well so i think it does a great job of that i think overall i would give this a solid 4.5. Mm. Awesome. So LaShawn's a 4.5. Uh, Bindra, what do you think? 5.5? Um, so I'm actually going to give this movie a 5. I absolutely oh. loved it. I thought I thought it did a really great job of kind of portraying the realities of our current world. And I think it was the perfect time to release this movie as well mm-hmm. because of what we've been going through for the past two years now. I think it did a great job of sending that important message, but in a way that is entertaining and like that will hopefully maybe like persuade people to take action, like learn more about the importance of science and why we should be holding science to a higher level than we do. And the way that media might be kind of portraying science in a way that it shouldn't be portraying. I think the messages that this movie sent was really important at a time of really great need. And I enjoyed it. I thought it was hilarious. So I'm going (laughs) to give it a five. (laughs) Awesome. I think it also serves this purpose of creating discussion points and talking about it. I know like my parents and I, we talked about, like I watched it with them and we talked for a solid half hour about the purpose of the movie, how it relates to our world right now. So it's doing the purpose it needs. There's so much discussion about it. Absolutely. I really enjoyed the ending. I thought it was very real and it wasn't exaggerated. And I think it really like put an eye-opening perspective as to what may happen if this were to actually happen within our world today and the way the government might react, the way the public, the media, the way 
the worst case scenario of what might happen. I think it was portrayed in a way that was really real. And I right. really thought they did a good job of the ending. Absolutely. It was sort of a no nobody wins mm-hmm. situation. Yeah. No, I, I think it was a great movie. I've seen it, obviously, for the purpose of preparing for this podcast a little bit more than I probably should have. So, But I enjoyed it each time, learned something new. I would give it a 4.3 uh, stars. Um, we all pick different numbers. What's yeah, four point three stars because I can't give it more than uh, Dark Waters, which we did last time. So these in. ratings are relative to the yeah, movies I, we review, eh? Yeah, I kind of everyone has their own system, you know. Mm. But I think I I like I like the comedy. It was kind of, it was I think it was frustratingly noisy. I think kind of like what Perva was saying, and then you kind of look you're like, wow, this is exactly what's happening now. So it's a little bit on the nose, but I really enjoyed it. And it was, you know, sort of an allegory for climate change and other impending disasters that we tend not to do anything about. But overall, it's a solid 4.3. And I highly recommend public health professionals or aspiring ones take a look to see what you can take from the movie. So, yep, highly recommend Mm -hmm. it. But I I also think one more thing, though, right? So quick, I got to go. My wife's banging my door. Right. But this is important, though. Yeah. I think it's very, very, very easy to just ignore something that you don't see. Mm, but you okay. see, at the end of the movie, when the asteroid starts coming, everyone's just like, from both sides of the, don't look up, look up. They're just like, oh crap, we're screwed, right? right? And then they start to realize. When so it's too late. I just hope, it's too late. Mm. But I just hope that when we're thinking about things like climate change, we can kind of have that nuanced perspective um. to think ahead and be preventative in our approach. Because we don't want to get it to the point where... Things are already irreversibly damaged, and I, we are currently at that point. Right. But I think people are waiting for that boom where you see something drastic happen. Right. But then if you do, it's too late. We don't want to get to that That's point. That's right. Well, boom. no, that was that was worth it. Boom, <laughs> that was worth it. So, yep, yeah, you were listening to Rewind, a new limited series by the Public Health Insight Podcast. My name is Gordon. I was here with Perva, Lashan, Bindra, Hassan. Signing off. Thank you for listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for informative conversations, inspiring community action. If you enjoy our podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. See you in the next one.